0: Welcome to a bird's eye view, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of ABA. Here's your host, Tim Crilly. Hello, and welcome back to a bird's eye view, a behavioral health podcast powered by Raven Health. Today, uh, I think I've really met our 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 goal in what we set out to do with this podcast. When we first started it, the idea was let's not just put out content for content's sake. We wanted to find meaningful, interesting people to talk to. And I think we've hit it out of the park, uh, today. So we are joined by, um, Mr. Devin Morrissey. Uh, you may know him from, uh, season one of Love on the Spectrum, uh, a Netflix show that aired, I think in 2022. It's hard to keep track of those things. He can fill us in a little bit about that. Uh, but before I let him introduce himself, I I do want to tell you how I came to meet, uh, Devin. It was a few weeks ago at a conference in LA and it's an interesting conference. It's um, it's an autism investor summit. So it's sort of an interesting meeting between people in the field working um, in the autism community, as well as those in the financial world that are looking to invest. And Sarah Litvak, the the, the gal who runs the whole thing, really had a great concept. And she bought, she brought in a panel of, of folks that, that Devin was on. A few were on the show with him um, and then, and then some weren't, but it was a—it was probably the best conversation that I heard throughout the two days I was there. Uh, I think it really reminded everybody about why they were in the room. So, uh, I saw Devin by the elevators later on, and I—I I ran up and I, you know, started stalking him because he was such a dynamic speaker on on the dais that I—I I thought maybe maybe he'd be willing to come on and, and talk to our audience. So, Devin, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your life to come chat with us over here at A Bird's Eye View. Um, please introduce yourself. Give give the audience a little bit of a, a, a taste of your background, and then we can sort of jump into your journey and, and talk about the uh, the more in, interesting parts of, of why you're here.
1: Well, thank you so much, Tim. And may I just say it wasn't more of a stocking, it was just a casual running by the elevator. Let me just sure. say that.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I've been accused of worse. How about that?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, anyways, though, so hello. Uh, my name is Devin Morrissey. You may have seen me as a supporting cast member on Netflix's three-time Emmy award-winning show. I can't believe I'm saying that. Three-time Emmy winning. I know. Um, Love on the Spectrum, U.S. um, It's the U.S. version of the highly successful Australian version, um, the Australian show that was on Netflix. Um, But a little bit about me. Um, I am diagnosed on the spectrum. I was diagnosed at age Um, I was born and raised in a small town um, in the Bay Area called Danville, uh, so Danville, California. I moved out here to Los Angeles straight out of high school, um, and I got my BA, my bachelor's degree there, um, and then I stayed pretty much to get my master's degree from the University of Southern California in education, so I pretty much have worked all over the place um, in music, theater... Um, education, and now i kind of taken a step back, and now I'm working in autism advocacy um, mm-hmm. and blogging, actually. So that's a little bit about me. That's great.
0: Right. <laughs> I, you know... Uh, danville i know it i know it pretty well um, yes it's a little, little suburbia outside of the bay area
1: oh yeah a little suburbia we call it i like to call it the bubble for so many reasons because nothing ever leaves except i did for except some years.
0: reason. <laughs> yeah uh, actually <laughs> one of my old bosses uh michelle brennan cook she lives in danville still so she's she's never getting out
1: oh my gosh i know <laughs> once, uh, once you leave danville it's hard to leave
0: uh so, okay, so let's, let's, let's start there. Uh, you know, you mentioned you were on the show um, and we're going to get to that. Um, but yes. let's, let's go back to that, that point in time with your diagnosis. Obviously you were three years old. I doubt you remember the process, but do you remember some of those, those, those early things in terms of the, the therapy that you may have been receiving and sort of that relationship with, with that, you know, sort of new part of, of your life. Do you have memories of, of that process?
1: I do. I do. I was officially diagnosed at the age of three, and the earliest memory that I honestly have, I remember being in at-home therapies for literally every single day from Saturday to Sunday. Um, Because at the time, they didn't in the '90s. They didn't have providers. They didn't have you know providers like Graven Health now, like they do. Like they actually send ABA therapists to work with you. It was more. It was at home. You would hire someone from somewhere to work. And from what I remember, it was every therapy that you could honestly think of. So ABA therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, you name it. because at the time, in the 90s, when you got an autism diagnosis, it was pretty much like a death sentence. Yeah. And at the time, I remember so vividly looking back at it now, the doctors had basically just said, look, you know, your son is highly intelligent, but he's going to have a lot of hardships in life. Like, he's not going to graduate from school. He's not going to be able to live on his own. And he's not going to be able to have a full-time job. And knowing that my parents were incredibly, incredibly optimistic, but they were very, very, very determined. Um, they took the doctor's advice, but they all said, like, OK, you say that about our son now, yeah. but you just watch it. Just you it wait. Happen.
0: Just you wait. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you just wait, you know, whether it's like a year from now when he's, you know, five or whether you see him in his 30s or you see him. Why in this 40s and 50s, he's going to make something out of himself. Mm-hmm. You just watch and see what happens. Um, but I vividly remember there were so many different therapists that came through my house and, you know, it was literally learning everything, like learning how to identify people, like learning how to, you know, even ask simple questions and how to have that conversation. And it was a lot growing up, I'm not going to lie. Like, at first, you know, as, as a four or five-year-old, like, you really don't, you know, get the sense of that. But my parents really wanted me to have a normal childhood like everyone else. And so I literally was not only in therapies from the time that I was first diagnosed, but in special day preschool. And then I would go to regular preschool mm-hmm. for the first time. I don't think – I don't think – that there's ever not been a time when I did not remember being in that environment yeah. where you had people cons- consistently just making sure that you were rising up to the park. Cause my parents, they just wanted, they just wanted what was best for me. And so, you know, looking back at it now, it's kind of amazing. And it's just sort of a shock to see, you know, where I started to where I am now. Sure.
0: sure. So do you, do you ever talk to your mom and dad about that time, like sort of, Obviously, they had the attitude, and they they were proven right. So they can yes. they can be the ultimate. I told <laughs> you so. But um from a sort of how that impacted them, do oh you, my do you gosh. To talk about that? Like. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, my parents, um, I like to say there was actually a point in the pandemic when we were all shut down um, and I evacuated downtown Los Angeles where I'm currently at because L.A. was one of the epicenters of the pandemic, as everyone knows. And I migrated back to Danville for a while. There was a point where. We were cleaning out my parents' garage and I found this old red binder that had four – it literally was like this big of all ABA reports from the time that I was four years old for like four months. It was consecutive reports and I literally went through it literally paper by paper therapy by therapy. And I was just blown away by what I saw. It was literally like detailing everything that I did. It was detailing every therapist that I worked with every day that I did these therapies. It was just like, wow, wow. you know, and my parents, they are never shy of telling me of just how much I actually worked hard to get to where I am now. And, you know, at the time, You know, again, you know, autism was really seen as a positive thing to where society actually sees it as a good thing now. But at the time, you know, it really was a lot of perseverance and honestly, like a lot of sacrifices. Was it exhausting? Absolutely. I mean, I personally didn't really want to do all these therapies all the time. Personally, I would have rather been outside riding my bike or randomly jumping into the swimming pool where my mom had to jump in to save me. But at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't (laughs) change anything
0: about it, to be honest yeah that's that's great you know uh just the i you know i i have lived in the aba world for a long time so the, yes. the the binder the binder thing is is definitely something that i i had not you know as a as a provider going in so it's crazy that your parents still have that binder
1: i know and especially in this digital age where everything is done on the computers the fact Uh, that people are like wait a minute you actually did this back in the 90s you had the papers and the binders." i'm like heck yeah we didn't have that technological advances that you guys do now come on
0: well okay so just so you know raven that's what we are we are a digital data book so we would be that, that binder on a on a platform but you'd be surprised how many ABA providers are still out there with paper and pencil. So it, it still yep. exists. Uh, but, you know, yep. we're trying to, we're trying to let them know that they need to take a look at Raven and, and get on that, that digital uh, tidal wave here. So uh, the
1: times have changed.
0: Yeah, they have, but sometimes <laughs> people don't like to change.
1: <laughs> oh, I know.
0: So obviously you had, you know, you had therapy, you, had, you know, school, school related therapies. What was elementary school like for you? Did you enjoy it? What did, did uh, you know, friendships and, and things like oh that. Gosh, can you talk a little bit about that? That's
1: like going way back into the playground. My God. Um, what are we do so here? Let me see. I feel like, okay, so honestly, at first, elementary school was actually not that bad. Everything was just kind of like it was. I went to the same elementary school from kindergarten to fifth grade. And I mean, it was mm-hmm. literally right down the street from my house. So <laughs> you can imagine it, it was a really easy commute to get there. Um, but at the time, you know, it was around that time that I really began to struggle with certain things, um, particularly with my identity. And I remember being around um, third, fourth grade, you know, kindergarten, second and first. And I was just kind of like, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. you know, I'm here, you know, with friends and you know, playing on the playground, doing all this fun stuff. Yeah, you know,
0: when they're all, everyone's um, sort of playing, they're all everyone's doing their own thing anyway. They're yeah. just doing it by the. Like next to each other.
1: Not a care given in the world yeah, pretty much yeah, when yeah. you're at that age. Yeah. But around third and fourth grade, like I had already noticed that I was doing so many, you know, that I was going into different, you know, therapies. It, times, like, you sometimes, like Yeah, I'd be pulled out of, let's say, like when we're doing writing or when we're doing math, you know, I'd be pulled out, you know, to go to therapies, you know, like, like literally in the same campus. But it really kind of started to confuse me a little bit. And I was like, wait a minute. Am I actually normal? Like, am I actually regular like every other, you know, kid here? And it really was a very confusing time. And it wasn't until, you know, I actually started to get pulled out of lunch recess and I started to get pulled out of these extracurricular activities and even not having to be able to time to play with my friends. I was like, wait a minute, what exactly is going on here? Why am I having to miss all these opportunities to go to some, speech you know swallowing therapy it had Mm -hmm. absolutely no sense and at the time i was really starting to question my parents i'm like okay why am i missing this and they didn't tell me at that time because i knew that they wanted me to have a normal childhood like everyone else but it really was certain things were not starting to click Mm -hmm. and when they don't click you really start to question that and so it was really around that time even just having an eight in the class and i was mostly you know being helped by that eight. and i'm like wait a minute yeah. Why is there not another aid? Like, like, doesn't every single child need 20, 30 aides yeah. in here? Like, yeah. yeah, I was so caught off guard by it. And it was, it, it literally put a whole lot of questions into my head. Like, am I really normal? Am I really neurotypical like everyone else? And it flabbergasted me for the longest time because I didn't, I honestly had no idea what was going on.
0: Wow. So that's sort of, is that, is that, when your parents started talking to you about your diagnosis,
1: you know, honestly, that's a really good question, and actually leading into that. So, my entire elementary school life, um, I was trying to figure out what was going on, and after finishing fifth grade, I was kind of a little bit, you know, concerned that this was something more that maybe I wasn't particularly normal, just because there were times where I'd have meltdowns, and there were times I have breakdowns, and honestly there were times where I even was frustrated with myself when those were happening. So I was like, wait, why am I acting like this? Mm-hmm. What is going on? Like, what is the real deal? And so it was actually a few weeks before I started sixth grade and I started middle school. That's like the that, seventh,
0: eighth grade combined.
1: Well, sick. Well, actually in sixth, my district. Yeah. And yeah. in, yeah, in I mean, Danville, it was sixth through eighth grade. So yeah. Okay. yeah kindergarten through fifth was the elementary school level. And then sixth through eighth grade, um, was middle school pretty much in the two thousands, pretty yeah, much. Which is,
0: you know, middle school is a is a tough is a tough sort of age for a lot of kids.
1: Oh yeah. Um but for me it was it, it was an experience. It was definitely where things started to get extremely rough for me. Um but I think but before we get into that, obviously my parents had told me that hey, you know, we know you've been wondering about what's going on, you know, all those therapies and all the things that you've done. That's because you have this thing called autism, and I'm like, wait, what? Like, and they explained to me what it was. You know, it's not the greatest eye contact. It's not the greatest communication. You know, and sometimes certain genius qualities just come out. Like, you know, you may not be able to understand verbal cues or social interactions that might be overwhelming sometimes, and it made some sense. Because a lot of the therapies that I was doing was making sense to it, but at the same time it was extremely gut wrenching that I was never going to be this normal, typical preteen teenager that everyone, you know, expected me to be. In fact, I thought I was the only one with it at that time. I thought that I was the only one that was on the spectrum. And it really, oh God, it, it just downgraded me to a whole nother level. Well.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, You know, I I think your story is probably common with a lot of people, you know, that have gone through that experience. And, you know, as parents, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. You know, when do you when do you bring it up? Do you bring it up? You know, what makes the most sense? So, you know, there's no easy answer. uh, Easy answer there. So. Okay, so, you know, I'd really like to jump into, um, you know, relationships, You, you know, you said you, you know, you, you obviously have I mean, we we met you uh, yeah. because of your friendship with with Danny. Yes. Um, so, what the heck? What? How did you guys meet? And you know, what 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 is the you know wh- where does that where did that friendship start?
1: Okay, so that's actually a great question. So, Danny and I actually met um, right, I think about ten years ago. Now, it's amazing. Oh, wow. So, I, we both met through a very good friend of ours, um, Joey Travolta, who is actually John Travolta's older brother, that is mm-hmm. a thing, and I like to say that Joey is truly the MVP of the autism community. I'm just going to say that right uh, now. Um,
0: okay.
1: He runs this incredible film workshop for autistic young adults um, and teenagers called Inclusion Films, and at the time when I was a teenager, I went to those camps as a child, and really gained so much from that experience. So college came around, I left the camps to pursue a lot of other professional opportunities. I did a bunch of acting, I did a bunch of a whole lot of musical theater productions, Hairspray, Rent, Romeo and Juliet, everything. I had the chance to perform in college um, in LA and I'll never forget, I got a call from him asking me if I wanted to come back to work as an intern and as a volunteer, considering that I've had great successes from the camps, and now I'm living on my own in LA. And I said, absolutely. So I went back to the Bay Area to work. And at the time, Danny was actually the animation instructor who was going around with Joey to various parts of the United States to work. And I'll be honest, immediately we just clicked. That's you know, cool. there was something that was really kind of fun about Danny. Like, she was super in animation. And the work that she's done at that young age, I honestly thought was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, and she had just graduated high school as well. And she was just beginning to start her life as well. And that's sort of kind of where our friendship really started with. And over the years, we've kept in touch. Um, but I think it was in more recent years that we really grew to be really close best friends um and so yeah that's pretty much where now people are seeing our friendship on a netflix Um, show for the whole world to watch it's so weird to look at yourself and you're like wait what are we doing on tv this is ridiculous
0: i uh, I can't even you know i i I do this podcast and it's like weird i'll like click on it i'm like how is that my voice like how did this happen
1: yeah yeah i'm I'm just like wait the next what am segment. I doing on there? Shouldn't I be right here? Yeah, you,
0: you're <laughs> next level. Uh, you know, I, I had a chance to meet Danny. There was a little bit of a, a social hour. Um, I don't know if you were upstairs on the on the roof for that, but I, I got a chance to to talk to her and meet her aunt and uncle. And oh, uh, you know, Patrick was just a great. He was just a great guy. Her her yeah. uncle. Um, but yeah, Danny. You know. Definitely yeah, has a passion for animation. That is loud and clear. And I live in San Diego, and that's where Comic Con is. Oh yeah, so we, we had a lot, <laughs> we had a lot, a lot to talk about. As you know, uh, you know, taking coming down for Comic Con and stuff. So, oh, you know,
1: absolutely, it is really something that they process. do every year, and yeah. it is crazy down there. I've never personally been at Comic Con, but I've heard amazing things about it. And how it's almost, you know,
0: they say it's gotten too big for San Diego to even. Oh, my gosh. And it's such a popular event. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a great moneymaker for the city. So hopefully they get to keep it.
1: Yeah. And it's like right near the Gaslamp Quarter too. So yeah, it's, be- it's like a great place to unwind literally it's after fun. all the days of, you know, promoting your animation and promoting the film. Yeah. It, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, <laughs> really true. Um, OK, so when, when we met you on that show, you were talking about going on, I think, a fourth date. Is that correct? Yes, okay.
1: I was going on a fourth date, the same girl. Okay,
0: so that was the four, fourth consecutive date, um, and that is how long ago now?
1: That was, um, well, actually, I'm going to clarify this right now. That fourth date was definitely not the last.
0: Okay, well, we'll get to that. That
1: fourth date was definitely not the last. Um, but that, okay, so I would say that was almost about two years ago, actually, which okay. is incredible when you think of it.
0: Okay, so how did the two of you meet?
1: Okay, so my girlfriend um, and I actually met on a dating app. Okay, and okay. Yes, I it was I was it was the pandemic, and I was just kind of like, you know, I'm tired of being single. I want to be able to find okay. someone that I can spend the rest of my life with. And when I met my girlfriend um, online, she actually liked the profile. She actually liked my profile first. And it was. Oh, me so
0: she picked you.
1: Yeah, she did, oh, and great. it was funny, because I just had, I know, <laughs> I know, and literally, like, I I, I had this photo, because um, the caption said, dating me will look like, and I'm basically being snuggled by this teddy bear, where I'm just like, hmm, okay. you know, and it's this big teddy bear on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, and she liked it, and I took a look at her profile, here is this beautiful girl, with this long brown, black hair with these beautiful Elizabeth Taylor eyes. She's holding them a must in her hands and I'm like, I like this girl. I immediately matched with her and we, honestly, we just started talking right away, to be honest. Um, Mm. And it was funny, when we shot my episode for Love on a Spectrum, I was telling Danny that I don't know what it is about this girl, but there's something about her that I yeah, really, really, really like. And I want to get to know more of her. I don't want to let her just, you know, slide out of my hands. Like I really yeah. want this girl in my life.
0: Wow, that's great. So before we go down that a little bit, how, like, what what did you, what was your main takeaways from, like, online dating? Uh, you know, was it terrible, good, I mean, oh obviously it a gosh. good end result. But what about I like, know?
1: The- you know, I think honestly for every person it's a different experience. I know that for me I've had some good experiences, like I got to meet some people, but you know, honestly, it just went to the whole root of they didn't meet certain criteria, like if they didn't want kids. Um, sure. Cause that's a big deal breaker for me. I personally would love to be a father one day, mm-hmm. like my, you know, like my father was to me. Yeah. You know, or you know, people would say like, "Hey, you're a nice guy, but you're more of a friend." Sure. And you know, I've always been told on my child like, "Oh, you're just a friend," and, that. that's and um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't mind being the friend, but why can't I, you know, yeah. be you know, the nice, attractive guy for once? Because I felt like the <laughs> ugly duckling growing up. Yeah. You know, and with my girlfriend, I definitely feel like I am. Like the hot, okay. attractive guy, because she's my hot, attractive girl at the end of the day. so. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Uh, so you guys have been together two years? Is that yes. about right? That's great. The two um, best
1: years and many more to okay. come. I guarantee you.
0: Okay. Oh Well, if you want to break any news here, you can, but I'll, I'll let you guys uh, have, that, have that to yourselves about any future plans, but uh, that, that's really great. Um, so we, you know, before we started recording, we kind of talked about um, social media and, you know, you sort of bridge the gap here with um, online dating. I've been married all about my 20 year anniversary coming up this October. So
1: congratulations. But the point
0: of that was, I never had to deal with relationships in a texting, social media, online world. Like, you know, I had a call chelsea my wife hope she answered the phone if we were going to make plans to do anything and then if she was out of the house that was it you know we couldn't connect um but for you with with your autism and sort of that relationship do you think that social media and the ability to to text and have conversations in that regard was a benefit to you or do you think it was you know maybe a, less of a, a factor
1: well i think first and foremost starting out i i Like, when I was younger, like, I think the first time I ever got a cell phone was around sixth grade. And I'll be honest, my entire life I had been, you know, used to the whole, you know, in-person communication. But the minute that I found out that I was autistic and then got a cell phone a few months later, I was completely just like, wait, what? Like, I can actually talk over, like, I can send people messages, like, emails, that's nice. But I'll be honest, communication through text and social media was not... The easiest at first, um, let alone with just how things, you know, conspired. Because honestly, I did not really know how to use texting that great. And let alone I didn't actually start on social media, you know, like until my, until the end of my freshman year of high school. And I'll be honest, when I got onto social media, it, I was, I didn't really expect a lot of things to happen, and at the time, I'm going to be honest. Um, around middle school, things had started to gotten really bad. Like I was bullied and tormented and harassed yeah. and antagonized like crazy, and it was yeah, a really lonely environment. And I felt isolated. I felt just like, okay, this is not you know going great. At least people you know can't say these things online. Um, but when I got on social media, you know, I guess there were some things of me online that I didn't want up at all. And the things that were said were just, like, awful. It just really downplayed my confidence just because I didn't know that people were saying these things about me online, let alone posting these things without my knowledge. And it really just kind of started taking me down in a downward spiral just because at that time, middle school was rough. But high school was – that was when things really started to escalate and things started to really get – Worser than people even realize, you know, I think that a lot of people didn't know, but social media had a lot to do with, um, you know, sort of a lot of downfalls that I've had in my life. This is
0: more of a negative impact.
1: It was. um, And for the longest time, you know, I always just kind of felt like, you know, well, things are just getting worse. What's the point? And even, you know, what's, what's the point even having things getting better when all you've seen is just things are going down. I mean bullying got worse, harassment got worse, cyberbullying online was getting beyond worse. And I'll be honest, my mental health and my physical health took a toll. I ended up in the hospital twice due to seizure, um, due to some seizure-related things that happened. Um, I tried to commit suicide more than once. You know, it was a very lonely time. And things, I don't think that people realize of just how bad actually things got. And people say all the time like, oh, you know, autistic people aren't bullied that much. I'm like, no. Like, people on the spectrum are 63% likely to get bullied and experience these things. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them kind of went through what I had to go Mm -hmm. through. You know, and it's a very scary thing. And so, a lot of it did have to do with social media and the things that were being said. Now... All these years later, I'm just kind of like, you know, what? I see social media as a way to talk about my story and a way to talk about these topics. In fact, I'm not alone. I think so many autistic people are really beginning to use social media as a platform to speak out about many things about the way that we communicate about sure. the way that stimming is so appropriate in today's sighting that we need to really accept that. And so I've seen social media now as sort of my platform to hopefully educate other people and let people know, like, you know what, these things happen to me, but it's not going to dictate the rest of my life.
0: Well, that's a great, you know, sort of takeaway um, message, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that something like that, you know, the way that, that, People use it as like a a secret way to bully. You know, it's yeah. the safety of behind the keyboard is just a really dangerous dangerous thing. And, I, and I'm sorry that that's you know.
1: Yeah. And at the time, you know, social media was still coming around, and autism wasn't really taken accepting. Like this whole, you know, like you know, let's be you know appropriate with the words that we use. That didn't happen when I was a teenager. And so at the time you know, it was very, very, very rough. But now looking back at it now, I like, I think it definitely made me stronger. And it definitely made me, you know, making sure that like, this doesn't happen to any other autistic child, because I wouldn't wish that on anyone for, I wouldn't even wish it on my own worst enemy. Like, mm-hmm. it's something that when these things happen, it really makes you a better human
0: being. I, you know, it's funny. Uh, my wife had me read a couple Pages out of a, a book she's reading about, you know, sort of like how to raise good adults, yes. you know, and a part of, part, you know, not to maybe the extreme that you went through, but, you know, part of what the message from that, that book from last night, it was just last night, ironically, was that, you know, kids have to go through trials, tribulations, not everything can be easy no, and no. it does make them a better person at the other end, but it shouldn't be to the extent where, you know, you know, it, it went, for you. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. that that's part of your, your history, but obviously look at you, you won, you know, thank you're you, on TV. Thank they're you. not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in that direction. I'm in a very happy, I'm in probably one of the happiest places of my right. life right now compared to where I was, let's say maybe 10, 15 10, 15, 16 years ago. I mean, I think that if I to look to the future and see where I am now, I think he'd be very happy with how his life actually turned out. Yeah.
0: That's a, that's a great way to think about it. But also how many of those kids have a master's degree from USC? So
1: I don't know. Not that
0: many. <laughs> not that many. Uh, so, okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, you know, sort of your work life and your career. You know, what is, what is your passion? What are you doing? What do you, what's the dream scenario for you? And, you know, from a, 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 a work environment, what do you love and what do you find challenging? I know that's a lot to chew there, but.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, right now, um, I have been working in um, employee engagement, and I've also been working in customer success that's been very helpful for me. But on the side, one of the things that I'm very proud of is the blog that I've launched called Autistic Superpower, and really it came from um, journaling for so many years um, and finally, about maybe five, six years ago, I'm like, I really want to make this more public. And I really want to open up more and really share my life experiences growing up on the spectrum. And so I started Autistic Superpower. Um, we have It's on Tumblr, but I've also opened up a few pages on Instagram and on Facebook just to kind of get more of the word out. And really, on this blog, I talk about everything autism related. Yeah. I literally talk about everything my entire life experience from My earliest memories to where I am now. Um, Part of it, one thing, for instance, was really learning how to communicate through music, Um, pretty much any music that I remember, because I grew up in a very musical household uh, where there was nothing but music around to help me communicate. Every Disney film from that time um, really helped me to communicate. It was like, part of your world and oh the 90s asked. i mean
0: that's yeah like a one oh my a year. god I mean, yeah, yeah no or-
1: that music helped me to communicate more than i think i ever know mm-hmm. uh but also a little bit of the music that I, that my parents grew up with. So a lot of police, a lot of Sting, Sting, and the police were beloved in my house as well as Bruce Springsteen. Okay, the boss. <laughs> um, as, the boss, absolutely. Um, and a little bit of Bob Dylan, a little bit of Nancy Griffith um, for as long as I can remember. But also music that I listened to growing up, and a lot of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. And sing The Backstreet Boys, Beyonce and her dates with Destiny's Child. I know, I'm such a millennial, Backstreet I can't girl. even... <laughs> well, my girlfriend loves The Backstreet Boys, too, so I think that okay. was a big, massive Backstreet Boys fan as well because I wanted to be the sixth Backstreet Boy. Oh, you didn't? Okay.
0: Yes. Sure not and, too late. I think they're still touring, aren't they?
1: Oh, I know. I mean, if they're ever in L.A., hey, hit me up. I love to perform <laughs> with you guys. I know shape of my heart for every single word. I'm not kidding you. And well, mm. obviously, I want it that way as well, but... There, but all the music really helped me to communicate more as a child, and that was one of the things I really wanted to empathize was my first really ways of communicating was through music. And so even up to now, um, I'm talking about that. I'm talking about other life experiences that I went through growing up. I wrote a really powerful letter to myself at 15 years old saying, like, hey, you're going through these things right now, but I hope that you just look at yourself in many years from now and see what a life you've built for yourself um, I talk a lot about diversity, inclusion, and inequity, um, and really promoting that for every single autistic adult out there and every single autistic individual, um, not just in the workplace, but in life as well, knowing that you are so worth more than people may consider you or even what people or even what you consider yourself. You know, and I think, you know, it's so important really for me with this block to continue to stress the envelope of pushing the boundaries of what society considers possible. And for me, it comes from a very raw place where I have been pushing the envelope of what society considers of me since I was born, since I was three years old when I was first diagnosed. And it really just makes me want to do more and really writing more, um, as well as being able to actually do this. I mean, this is the third time that I'm speaking publicly about. um, Yeah, I know, the third time I'm doing this. This is like the first podcast I've ever done because um, aside from, um, you know, the Love on the Spectrum U.S. panel that I did back in April, I had only spoken to Autistic High School, um, their graduation commencement in Phoenix, Arizona last year. So That's I'm a
0: great speaking engagement, though. Yeah, That's yeah. Scary.
1: So. Um, I know, and it was so shocking to just to see, like, how many students actually wanted, because a lot of the high school graduates, like, because I was the last one to speak before these kids were about to walk, but all these kids really wanted to hear what I had to say, because I really made a life for myself, and it meant so much to me, because I'm like, I'm not passing the torch to the next generation, and to me, that means much more to me than I think anything can really ever describe it, you know, but I think as well, I have never shied away. Well, as a child, I did. But now, you know, I just turned 30 a few weeks ago. I've never shied away from sharing my life experiences growing up autistic. And I think that it is so important to share every aspect of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the triumphs, the trials, tribulations, and everything in between. Um, And I'm very proud of this blog and everything that I've done and I'll continue to do. Um, But we you know, I've been okay. doing this where can for people five, find six it? years. Yeah, so it's on Tumblr. Um, it's tumblr.com slash autistic superpower. I also have um, an Instagram page and a Facebook page as well. And I don't really shy away from anything autistic related. I love talking about autism. I think that it's incredibly important to speak about it these days, especially since, you know, we're kind of at a turning point when autism and disabilities are really beginning to be more talked about in today's society because for so many years, we focus more on race, we focus on gender, we focus on sexuality. But in a way, all three of those are intertwined within the disabilities community, especially autism, whether people actually believe it or not, it's actually true. And it's always so exciting whenever I get to share
0: something yeah. well, you're um, very, coming you, out into the open. You tell a very compelling story and you are a natural. Uh, so I think you are going to have Thank a lot of success in these speaking engagements. Thank you. Um, you know, it would be fun if, you know, if, if, if you want to ever talk to Joey about coming on and talking about the work and maybe we could get some future projects going. I still think we need work on the spectrum.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, yes. It would be such
0: a- <laughs> so you pitch it to Joey and um, I'll, I'll, I'll jump right in and, and help, but. Uh, Devin, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. I, and, you know, I, I'd love to have you back on or, you know, if there's anybody you need to meet that we know, I'd love to introduce you because you need to get your message out there. So, um, please, please stay in touch. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, it's fun meeting new friends. I know I'm a Absolutely. Bit, who's, who's to say we can't be friends. I'm only down the road. Uh, <laughs> so thank you again. Um, thank and, you so much for having me. Thank
1: Thank you so much for having me again. And it's been so amazing just with the reception, you know, of even the circumstance that we met because people don't even know, like we literally ran into each other in a lobby at a hotel in Beverly Hills. And now here we are doing this because I, because honestly I was going to just stay for the panel that I was a part of for Love on the Spectrum. And then I was going to dip. But seeing just, you know, the other opportunities that they had there, I really wanted to see, you know, what else was there? And also, too, just the people that actually recognized, you know, myself, Danny, Sabo, and Artie from Love on the Spectrum. It's such a shock because yep. with that exposure on, from, a, from a highly successful show on Netflix that debuted almost a year ago, you really take in the heart of just the many lives that you're touching. And even just by being on the trailer, I'll be honest, I was shocked when I ended up on the trailer for the show. I'm like, wait. <laughs> Why am I on the trailer? Like shouldn't this be focused on the other six people yeah, and well, their love lives? Like what the heck? It's <laughs> pretty
0: funny. You know, it's funny, you know, internally here at um uh Raven when I kind of mentioned the idea that we might be able to have you on, a lot of fans were freaking out. So you you have a oh. lot. Of fans. So Anna who sort of is the the secret CEO, she sort of runs all of our our uh behind the scenes stuff. Anna was just kind of freaking out um and then Kevin Vick and his family, they actually have a daughter on the spectrum.
1: Um, So he works
0: here at the Raven team. So they're a big fan of the show as well. So you have fans. I
1: know. know, And it's so exciting. I'm just so excited for season two, you know, for people to actually see like a whole new batch of people that are, you know, going to assumingly come on. So I'm excited to see how that goes for the second season.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I I thank you. And, you know, to all our listeners out there, um, find Devin on all his social platforms. Um, You know, he's, he's got a lot of good stuff to, to share. So, uh, you know, stay tuned, tune in for more episodes of a bird's eye view, but you know, Devin, I think you might've topped off, topped us off. We might not be able to beat this one.
1: Oh, shucks. You say that now you wait till the next podcast. Yeah, I'll say it to the next guy (laughs)
0: too. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been a bird's eye view by Raven health. To stay up to date on all things Raven, visit us at ravenhealth.com.